You are listening to Wealthy Muslim Woman Podcast, episode number 41 with Saima Ali, MD. Assalamu alaikum everyone. I hope that everybody is doing well in this corona world with the pandemic going on. Uh, it seems like New York cases may be leveling off, reaching a plateau, which is a good news. But we have a lot of cases and a lot of people have died. So that is the sad part. However, inshallah, we will get past this. Uh, I'm really hopeful that we will be over this pandemic in a couple of months and hopefully resuming to our normal routines by the time the fall comes. Anyways, for this week's podcast, I was interviewed on a different podcast, Professional Muslim Woman Podcast, and we talked about money and we talked about budget and investing and debt and everything under the sun, and I thought we had such a great discussion, Dr. Hani Ahmed and I, and I really thought I should play this episode on my podcast as well as we have different listeners right now and uh, there may be an overlap or both audience where both audience get to listen to the information that we discussed so i hope that you enjoy this episode and uh, i will i will start playing the the podcast that was recorded on professional muslim woman right now okay all right bye Welcome to the Professional Muslim Women Podcast, a place for working Muslim women to share their stories, struggles, triumphs, and lessons learned along the way in pursuit of their careers. I'm Dr. Kali Hussein, And I'm Dr. Hani Ahmed. And in this podcast, we bring inspirational, trailblazing, successful, and fulfilled professional Muslim women to you. Get ready to be inspired and learn how you can forge your own path as well. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. This is Dr. Hani Ahmed, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Professional Muslim Women Podcast. I have a new episode for you that was recorded before the lockdown that was precipitated by the current pandemic that we are all living through. And so this information is prior to that and doesn't take into account what is going on with the stock market. I'm really excited to have Dr. Sema on the podcast, who is going to share with us so much important information about improving our financial well-being and building wealth. I know that a lot of you after this talk will wonder what the impact of the current recession is on making these plans. And I think you will find that it's mostly not much. If you are planning for the long term, we're talking about investing for 15, 20 years into the future, 10 years into the future, we discuss college accounts, retirement accounts. And so the short-term ups and downs in the market should not affect our overall goal. Any of you have any questions after this episode, as always, reach out to us and we'll have contact information right in the show notes. I will also include contact information for Dr. Sema in the show notes as well. Please help me welcome Dr. Saima. Hi, Saima. How are you? Assalamualaikum. How are you doing? Walaikum salam, honey. I am good. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for having me today. I am really honored to be here. I really look up to you and Kali as my role models. 
And I try to follow you guys on Instagram and your podcast. Thank you so much for starting this. And again, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. The feeling is completely mutual. And Sam, I have been following you for a while because I really love the space that you're in. You are sharing knowledge and I love that. So you are currently a practicing neurologist, right? Yes. And you have a passionate side project where you teach financial skills around financial well-being and wealth building to other Muslim women, mashallah. Let's start by talking about how that came about. What motivated you to get into this side project and what was that story all about? Sure. So I started, honestly, I've always been interested in money economics, finances, that's always been my passion. And I remember when I was trying to pick a major in college, it was difficult for me to decide whether I should do finance, economics, or whether I should go to medical school. I saw myself either working on the Wall Street or as a physician. So what I decided to do was continue taking my pre-med courses, which are basic requirements, general chemistry, organic chemistry, physics. But I decided to major in economics because I loved it so much. My passion has always been there. And then, of course, with medical school and with the residency, I could not put a lot of time or a lot of effort into this that requires a lot of hard work working 80 hours a week during residency or more. Oh, I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I finished my fellowship back in 2016. And then when I was done, I was trying to see what to do with the extra money that I was bringing in now and attending salary. And especially because of my student loans, I was so depressed about my student loans. I really wanted to figure out a way of getting out of it. So I started reading more again and going back to the books. And I just loved it so much. And it's just so beneficial. I thought I just had to share it with the world. And especially Muslim women, we get scared of finance. We get scared when we hear terms like stock market and we feel like we're going to lose all money. And that fear is just so great that it limits us. And I want us to get out of that fear and start exploring and see what works for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I totally am with you about, you know, the student loans. My husband's loan is huge. The first time I heard about his loan, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> I mean, I knew medical school was expensive, but it is really astronomical. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that physicians, first of all, you start later than your peers in the workforce in terms of earning decent income. And then the second part is you're straddled with this humongous loan and somehow you have to pay it off. So it really is not all rosy, <laughs> right? I started learning and teaching myself about financial well-being, you know, from other physician sites and geared towards physician sites. And these are really popular because of the extent of the debt, right? That physicians hold. So getting out from under that is such a huge subject of interest. But I love that you have yours kind of dedicated towards Muslim women. Tell me, Saima, in terms of, let's say I am a Muslim woman who is kind of starting from scratch. I remember I was at one point and if I really wanted to get started in figuring out how to improve my financial well-being, 
Are there any resources that you would recommend right away? Yes. You really have to just keep it simple. You know, wealth building is not hard. All these secrets have already been out there for years and more. We just have to remind ourselves again and really make a conscious effort to follow. So one of my favorite books of all time is The Richest Man in Babylon. And the funny story is I really thought this book was like written in ancient times and somehow found on tablets and... (laughs) That's how we got it. But this book was actually written in early 19th century by uh, George S. Carlson. And it's my favorite book of all time. And it has the basic information and it applied back in the ancient times and it still applies today. I haven't heard that one yet, but I'm going to put it on the reading list. Yes, it's really good. And then, of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's a really good basic book as well. Uses simple language. It's a really good book as an introduction to finance as well. Yeah, that one I read and I really enjoyed that one. Okay, that's fantastic. Let's kind of get a little bit into some financial questions. For me personally, I really started at zero and I think there's many people like me. In fact, studies show that the majority of people are like me where you don't really get a financial education in school, right? Unlike yourself, unless you have a personal interest in it, Sometimes you come out of your, you know, schooling and you don't really know anything about finance. And it's overwhelming at that point because there's so much to learn. I wanted to get your advice here on, you know, some questions that other women may have at the starting point, starting off reading books. That's great. But what a lot of people deal with, for example, are student loans, right? Student loans, they've got other types of loans, credit card loans. What is your advice regarding managing debt? Yes. So I didn't even start at zero. I started at negative 450K. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. Yes, because of my student loans. (laughs) Yeah. But surprisingly average for, you know, eight-year medical education. Yes, very common to hear these numbers, especially from people who've been to graduate school, like medical school and law school. So very common to hear these numbers. But still, negative 450 seems like a very daunting task in the beginning. And I just thought I could never get rid of it. But alhamdulillah, within two, three years, I am with a positive net worth and debt is not good. So we need to make a plan, get rid of that as soon as we possible. But we really have to start with the mindset. We cannot make that seem like a burden because then we just want to avoid it and not look at the numbers. That's how I was with my student loans for the first four years of residency and soon after too. It's like, it's such a big number that I don't even want to look at it or think about it. So the first is trying to see it just as a number. It's a number and you can pay it off just like we can get into debt, we can get out of debt. It's not impossible. So it's really important to have that mindset and then make a plan. And one of the really good method that I learned later on, it doesn't make economic sense, but it makes more of a psychological sense. It's taught by Dave Ramsey. It's called the snowball debt method. And basically what you do with that is you pay the lowest amount of debt first. So let's say you have five credit cards that you owe money on. One credit card may be a 20% interest rate, you owe 5,000 on it. Another one, you owe 4,000 on it. 
And even though the interest rate may be higher, the recommendation is, is to pay the lowest amount of the loan first, because it becomes like a psychological game. Once you see one loan is gone, then you're more motivated to pay the other loan faster and at a better rate as well. Ah, oh, I see. That's awesome. And what about for people who have credit card debts? Do you have any specific advice with regards to credit cards, holding credit card debt and using credit cards? So the best thing is to try to avoid it. We want to live within our means, not getting bigger houses, not getting bigger cars, not buying expensive stuff that we cannot afford. I am not against using credit cards. I use my credit cards. There are a lot of points that you can get. I get 2% on my Fidelity card. With travel card, I get a lot of perks where I get mileages. Dave Ramsey, the way he teaches, he's against having any type of credit cards. He recommends that you should just shred them and not use them at all. But a lot of people don't have that luxury, especially this day where people are living paycheck to paycheck. So we really need to make a plan first, get a financial stability where we do not have to go in debt. But I am not totally against using credit cards. Yes, if you're able to pay it off at the end of the month, that's the best. So you avoid any of the interest and the charges on it. But it's okay if you have to use it. There are people in bad situations. We have to use it. It's fine. But then try to have a plan of when do you plan on paying it back off by. Right, right. And that's key, I think, because first of all, the interest rates on credit cards are so high, right, compared to other types of plans. The best way to use the credit card is to pay it off every month on time uh, at the end of the cycle or earlier so that you never have to pay interest for, on it, right? I mean, then you can get the points and the perks without ever having to pay a cent of interest and avoiding all of that that's involved. But once you have it, recognizing that it is a high interest form of a loan, and therefore, if you need to make a big purchase, maybe look into other types of loans, right? Yes. Not everybody can qualify for those either. That's also something to keep in mind. But yes, there are other type of loans that the bank can offer and that will probably be at lower interest rate and probably lower fees. But then you need to have the good credit and everything. Absolutely. Speaking of other types of loans and good credit, Saima, what would you recommend someone who doesn't have the best credit and they want to build their credit rate up so that they can have access to good loans? I know that based just on your credit rating, you may, you know, be able to get a zero interest rate car for a year or more, right? Versus if you don't, you would be paying a very high interest rate from the beginning. I mean, it can make such a big difference in your access to good credit. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. So obviously you don't want to get into debt and you don't want to use credit cards. You want to be financially independent and not be dependent on the loans and external sources. But at the same time, you do not get a credit score if you are not using credit cards. So my husband, he never had a credit card in his life and he never had any debt. He didn't need any loans. So he was financially better off than I am. But his score was lower because he's never used any credit system. He never applied for any credit card. He never had any type of loans. So he actually had a lower credit score, even though he was financially better off than I am, better net worth, better everything. 
And me being negative 450 in debt, my score was so high because I am making my payments every month and I have an outstanding loan. So it's kind of a double-edged sword that you have to go out and get credit. So once you get the credit, then you want to make sure that you're paying it off on time. Any delayed payments will go against you when your credit drops. And as long as you're making your payments on time, then your credit goes up. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about that. I mean, when I moved to this country, it was about maybe 10 years ago, I started with an extremely low you know, credit score by virtue of being a completely, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, open, fresh, you know, starting from scratch, you can say. So I build my credit by the first thing I did was I got a prepaid card. And this is what I would, what do you think about that? Like just using a prepaid card that you pay off way before, there's no even interest involved in that. The entire idea is to just build credit by showing timely payments every month. Hmm. I honestly, I didn't even know they helped with your credit score because you're paying it before, right? I'm not sure. I don't know the answer, but that's interesting. Yeah. I think there is a type of card where there is a credit report that's filed on your behalf with the credit bureaus that you can use to, it starts off as prepay. And I mean, this was like minuscule amount of money, right? But eventually when I've made enough payments on it, I went and got myself an actual credit card. And this is my oldest credit card. I still have it. And that has kind of was my landing board for continue to build my credit. If you're starting from scratch, I think that's a good place to start. But you're right. The key is it's not a bad thing to carry credit. It's just ensuring that you never have to pay a cent of interest on it, using it smartly. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So on to the next question, Sama, you know, one of the things that I've heard, I've learned about in the finance world that really, really resonated with me that I felt was like, you know, a complete eye-opening moment for me was learning about the idea of living well below your means and how that's tied to the idea of how wealth building is not the same as debt management, you know, so paying down debt and making yourself free of that is not necessarily, I mean, it's, they're both good things, but it's not the same as building wealth. And then the connection between that and living below your means, I've never had that mind frame because of the fact that I come from an immigrant family. And of course, their task was to get food on the table. You know, it's a totally different mind frame. It's like, we need to live for today. We need to ensure that we're healthy, that we're eating. We have a roof over our head that we can go to school. But this idea when you're no longer in survival mode of building wealth and how it is connected to that ability to live way below your means, if you can, of course, not everyone has that privilege. It is a privilege. What can you tell us about that? Can you expand that? Yes. So that's the second lesson in The Richest Man in Babylon to control thy expenditure. You always want to live below your means. So that's a phrase used in the medical world where they say, keep living like a resident, even so the reference is that in residency, you're not making a lot of money, you're making maybe $40,000, $50,000 a year. And then when you become an attending, then you may have an increase in salary and people tell you to just keep living like you're making the $40,000, $50,000. Don't go out and buy the big house and the big cars. And it's because high income does not necessarily mean wealthy. Wealthy is really defined as having a net worth of over a million dollars. 
And just because you see somebody living in a big house and driving the big car does not mean that they are wealthy. That means they are maybe able to make their monthly payments of the big mortgage and the big lease. You could be saving that money, investing that money, and growing that money instead of wasting it on the big mortgage and the big lease. High income does not mean wealthy. And people who live in average homes, another really great book to read is The Millionaire Next Door. This book talks about how the rich, the wealthy people are really ordinary people who are living next to us. They are driving beat up cars. They are living in regular houses. And they have millions saved. So if you were just to see them on a the street, you won't even know that that person is wealthy or rich because they don't live those lavish lives. There's nothing wrong with living lavishly, but if you can really afford it, if you can save money, pay yourself and be able to afford those houses and those cars, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're building yourself up, better to just keep everything low, keep everything minimal. Yeah. And you know, there's some people that that just seems natural to them. My husband is definitely more frugal than I am. But what's interesting is when we met my husband and I, he looked poorer than I am. Okay, <laughs> But he's just because he does such a better job of saving than I do. And you're right. It's a complete mindset. What would you advise someone who started out like me where, you know, you spend money and that's how you're used to it. You don't necessarily think of money as managing it or you're not a good saver. How would you advise someone who has trouble either living below their means or saving up? Yes. So really finance is a mindset game. They say 80% of this is emotions and only 20% is actual knowledge. I can tell you exactly right now okay, you need to save this much every month and then you need to put this money in this stock and then you will have money growing at the end. But if you don't really see it, if the mindset is that I can buy an expensive watch or expensive purse and that's what is going to help me, then that's the mindset that we need to change. And it starts with just asking ourselves questions. The first question I would ask myself is why? Why is the instant pleasure more important than delayed gratification? We really have to learn to achieve delayed gratification. So instead of getting the instant dopamine hit by, that's all it is. This is all marketing game. It's all these big companies out there trying to capture us, to take our money away because they are showing us these shiny objects. And the same thing when it comes to food, all these advertisements that we see for you know cheesecakes and when you're depressed, you need to eat this. So all this, we need to ask ourselves, what's more important? Is that instant gratification more important right now, getting that dopamine hit right now, or saving that money and seeing my account grow and seeing my investments grow and really being wealthy at the end of the day and asking simple questions from that point. What's more important to me today or important today or later? How can I help my kids? How can I save for them? Would that, how will that make me feel? So asking yourself simple questions and going from there. Yeah, I love that. And one that really, you know, resonated with me is pay yourself first. I just love that concept because you're forced to save for your future self, you know, and that's another way of thinking of it too, is pay your future self. So it's like, you can still do all of the things that you enjoy in life. You don't have to restrict yourself tremendously, as long as you get 
all the savings out of the way first and it's automatic. Can you talk a little bit about that, about automizing it, making that easier, that saving? That is the first concept, pay yourself first. And the minimum you should be paying yourself first is at least 10%. And even a pre-tax, you want to take advantage of pre-tax savings. So you know, the government comes in and the government knows that we're not going to save money for the end of the year. So what do they do? They take our money before we even see it. So you have the federal tax deduction, you have the state tax deduction, you have social security, everything is taken out before we even get our check. And one way to battle that or to win that game is by saving before taxes. So if your job offers any sort of retirement accounts, take advantage of that because that's the money you're saving before you're even paying the government. So take advantage of that and especially make sure that you know about any match that your job may offer. So taking advantage of that match is free money basically you're getting from your employer. So they say, if you contribute $1,000 towards your retirement, we'll put in another additional $100 or additional $200 for you. And usually it's based on a percentage. So taking advantage of that first but then even trying to save post-tax. When I get my check, I have a percentage listed that just goes automatically into my investment account that I don't even see. So any brokerage account that you open up, anywhere that you decide to invest for yourself, even if it's just a saving account that you're just trying to keep an eye out for, just transfer that money there when you get your check and then plan the rest of the money, the basic necessities first. So We want to keep a wall over our head. So paying for the house, paying for transportation, which is necessary for traveling and paying for food. Those are basic necessities. And then having some fun money left over for you. So your brain doesn't think that you're being frugal and you're stealing the money and you're just not having any fun. So having some fun budget for each month and spend that as you like, whatever you would like to do. I have my Amazon budget Mm -hmm. each month. Sure. Yeah. I buy everything from Amazon and I just have some fun money left to purchase from Amazon. And then we have our weekly date nights that we budget for and all those things. So it's not that you are not living your life or you're not having the fun, but it's about saving and doing that. Yeah. I love that you brought up budgeting. I think one of the ways that, you know, I was able to get control of my spending was figuring out what my budget is. And it's so hard to do initially. I have to say that. (laughs) It is. It takes about three months to get a handle of it. Yeah. When you're not used to writing out, you know, every expense and figuring out, you know, especially since like, you're right from month to month, it's different. And then there's an annual budget. What are some annual expenses that are not captured from your month to month? It is a little bit of a task, but it is so worthwhile because you really take stock of where you're spending money that isn't bringing you any added advantage to your life. You know, I mean, we do end up when we're not looking carefully, we do end up wasting a lot of money. So taking stock of that is very helpful, right? Do you have any specific suggestions for budgeting? I use a $0 budget. I don't actually use their app. There's an app by Dave Ramsey, and then there's another app by You Need a Budget. That's a book, and they also have their own app. But the concept is a $0 budget. So each month, each dollar is accounted for. So you estimate how much income you'll be bringing in, and then you estimate your expenses and your investing at the end of the month. 
everything should be zeroed out. So you should have your saving money that's invested. You should have all your expenses mapped out and other fun things that you're doing and then zero at the end of each month. So income minus expenses equals zero. That's awesome. You know, I just want to look ahead and just give everyone who's listening an idea of why these principles are so important. I think the people who've managed to really perfect this method and, you know, quote unquote, win the game, end quote, are the people that are involved in the FIRE movement. These are the people who've managed to pay down all their debts by keeping their expenses and their lows very, very low and their savings rate high. And so they've paid down all of their debts. And once they finish working on that, they're investing, then they focus 100% on investment. They get to that key number and they show you what's possible on the other side of really taking these principles into your life. Can you tell us about the FIRE movement and what that's about? Financial independence, retire early, just started, to, I think, maybe a decade ago. Everybody's just on this uh, fire. It's really popular now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Everybody's trying to get there. Honestly, for me, I don't think I could ever just stop working or not do anything. And I think that's what a lot of these fire folks are also trying to achieve. They are developing their side gigs where they are keeping their passions alive. So a lot of them have blogs. A lot of them have podcasts where they don't feel like they're not working at all, but they are financially independent where they have enough money saved that they are able to live off of it and travel. I do want to travel. I love traveling and that's something that's on our list and we want to do it in the next couple of years. But I think it's fascinating. I love watching everybody's journey and what they're doing. It's important to something to consider, but instead of just having this concept of just being in a rat race, It's just important to look at your own self, see where you are. Yes, develop a good staying out of debt plan and have a good financial stability because honestly, we don't know where the future is going in the world that we are living in right now. Everything is changing. All these jobs, there are people making millions of dollars just by posting their pictures on Instagram. Like that's new career these days. All these other companies like Google or Tesla, they're saying that they don't even require people to have a college degree anymore to work for them. So where is the world going? It has changed so much just in our lifetime. Like when I was in high school, we didn't even know what a cell phone was or we never had a cell phone. And now we're walking with computers in our hands. So it's important that you develop your financial stability and because we really don't know what's going to happen next in any of the careers. Absolutely. And that's why I find FIRE, you know, financial independence, retire early movement so intriguing. I love a lot of their principles. And like you said, it's not the retire early part that's most useful. Probably the more useful part is the financial independence part. It does require a lot of discipline and there's a gradation, right? A spectrum. I mean, there's people who will, you know, eat Raymond noodles, you know, every day to try to get to their number. And that's a little extreme. But some of these principles can be helpful for even folks who aren't trying to retire early. But financial independence is the key. It's real freedom, I consider it, when you don't have to work for somebody or you literally can live off of your investments and you're not bound to, you know, work to live your life. A lot of people are there and are still working because, of course, work can be, you know, a 
very productive and fulfilling part of your life. But, you know, when you're independent, you really have a freedom that is unimaginable to other people. And you may not retire early, but you will learn so much. So I just encourage everyone to look into FIRE and see what those folks are doing. So, oh, yes, you learn a lot from them. Learn a lot from them. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful advice. I did want to ask you about another big subject in the finance world that I think could be helpful for a lot of people. And that's the idea of insuring your assets. So in the course of building wealth, you want to make sure that you, or at least the concept of insuring that wealth or insuring, you know, the ability to continue building that wealth so that if something were to happen, it wouldn't be this catastrophic loss either to yourself or to your family. You know, when I was looking into life insurance, I came across a lot of sort of, you know, different opinions from an Islamic perspective. At first, it seemed really controversial, but later on, as I read about it, I realized it's not as controversial and it's much more gray zone, you know, meaning there isn't really any black and white edicts about it, either in the Quran or the Sunnah. So what do you think about life insurance specifically? Yes. So I recommend everybody to have some basic insurance in their life. So one of them is definitely disability insurance. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Life insurance, umbrella insurance, and of course, health insurance. So yes, I honestly got my life insurance policy when I just graduated from college. At the moment, I really didn't even know that it was controversial. And there were scholars who said that don't get life insurance. It was much later when I was in medical school or almost in residency that I heard the opposite opinion that it may not be halal and we should not have life insurance. So I've been reading on it as well. And there was a really good article that I found. It's called, they're based out of UK. It's called Finance Gurus. And they also have a podcast. I'll send you the link for their podcast and their website. I don't have it on top of my head, but they had a really good article on life insurance. And their end point was that there is no argument in Islam or in Quran or Hadith that points to not having, that points to having life insurance as being haram. But one important point that they discussed was the term life insurance, you absolutely can have. There's nothing against that. But one point that they made was for whole life insurance. And it was that when you are purchasing whole life, it is kind of sold as an investment policy where you are putting money in every year and that money is invested for you. And if that money is being invested in bonds, and if somebody considers interest to be haram, then that's a point to consider where your money is being invested. So term life insurance policy, they said, okay, I am personally not a religious scholar, so I cannot point or say whether it's halal or haram, but just from their perspective, it's a term life insurance where we buy the policy for 10 years, 20 years, and we're making maybe $30, $40 payment per month. That is okay. And life insurance, just to consider that one point that maybe. If you consider interest to be haram, the modern day banking interest to be haram, then that's something to consider and keep in mind. And, you know, that's exactly what I came across, Saima, that there's a big difference between term life and whole life or universal life. So term is the one you want to go with 10, 
20, 30. And there is no edicts about it, either in the Quran or the Hadith that is haram in any way. I think, as you know, after that initial time around the Prophet Afterwards, there's a lot of scholarly back and forth interpretation, and this is where the differences are, but there's absolutely no strong consensus that it is haram in any way. So I think about the benefits of it. We all die, right? We all die. Confronting that is not a bad thing, knowing that. And I think a little preparation can go some ways and just put yourself in a position if you're a parent, might not even be a parent, but helping out your parents or your family. When I got a term life policy, I was helping to support my family. And I still do. My parents, I mean, and now that I have children, I think it's part of that, of being prepared. You know, if God forbid you died early, there's so many people who die. You know, you don't know what's in the future. If you had the option between either, you know, your loss of income and support being catastrophic for them versus giving them some wind, you know, some safety net in the form of a trust, you know, for them, what would you choose? I think any parent would make that choice. And I think a lot of what scares people about insurance is just this like gray cloud around it of uncertainty. But if you really look deeply into it, you'll see that there really isn't any reason not to do it. So I also, especially for parents or anybody taking care of their parents, I think it's like so important. Let's move on to disability insurance. Why do you think that's important? Yes. So especially for people who are high income earners, let's say for me, I graduated with 450K in debt. And yes, I have a higher earning potential and I can try to pay that loan off earlier or as quickly as I can. But again, we don't know what life has planned for us. And especially us being in the medical field, we see young people being diagnosed with horrendous stuff, multiple sclerosis, cancer, other things. And then if you're not able to work, you are still alive, but you're not able to work and you have this whole big looming debt out there, then how can you pay that off? And especially when you have kids and you've bought a house that you're living in and how can you cover those expenses if you have no income coming in if you're not able to work anymore. So that's really important to consider and buy good disability insurance as early as you can. If you can qualify in residency, then get it at that time. Usually they look at your current income when they are insuring you, but sometimes the insurance company will look at your future earning potential and insure you based on that. So that's extremely important to have that. I recommend that to everybody. And unfortunately, I have a couple of physician friends who got life-changing diagnosis at a really young age, and they had not purchased disability insurance. And you could get disqualified for it. And especially females, once you become pregnant, then you could have so many complications associated with pregnancy, C-sections, your premiums will go high they will be extremely high. So you want to get it as early as you can at a younger age with no medical issues. And later, if you develop anything, the insurance company can completely deny you the insurance or make the premium really, really high. Yeah, that is great advice. Thank you. I do have one last one that I wanted to address. And this is about saving for college. Now, you and I, and many people in our positions we basically may have lots of 
student debt, right? But for our own children, we might be able to spare them that headache. What would you recommend for parents who want to save money for their kids' future school needs? Yes, do it. Please help them. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> there are many different types of accounts for kids saving. And one of the best one is a 529 accounts. Pretty much all states offer them. And some of the states even offer tax deduction benefits. So I have New York state income and New York state offers 10,000 tax deduction if you contribute up to 10,000 into their 529 plan. So one, you're getting benefit of the tax deduction based on the state that you're in, but then you are investing money for your kids and the money grows tax-free. And whenever they try to use that money for education-related purposes, they use that money tax-free, no fees added. So that's a huge benefit if you look at it. I mean, tax is one of the biggest bills that we have in this country that you cannot escape. And having some money grow tax-free and being able to use it tax-free is a huge advantage. So I tell everybody to look up the 529 accounts if their state doesn't offer tax deduction. Even then, it's a really good bet. You cannot go wrong with it and try to invest for their future. Yeah. And isn't it true that each dollar, the earlier you start saving, the harder those dollars work. Is that true? That it makes more sense to save when they're really little versus when they're older? Yes, exactly. So it takes about 10 years on average, and it could change any time about 10 years for your money to double. So if you are able to save $10,000 from the time they are born, by the time they turn 10, you'll have 20,000. And by the time they turn 20, you should have 40,000. And this is without any more contribution. So if you just put in $10,000 when they are born or you know, starting early, zero a year, then by age you know, 18, 19, by the time they're ready to go to college, they should have approximately $40,000 saved for them. Okay, perfect. And then I was going to end there, but you know what? There was one last question, Dr. Saima, that a friend and I were discussing recently. But with regards to you know, the religion permissibility of investment holdings in terms of stocks versus bonds, can you talk a little bit about that and what your opinion is in terms of halal versus haram investments? Yes. So again, I'm not a scholar, so I cannot really say what's halal or haram. But interest is something that, again, is considered controversial. And again, modern day banking interest is controversial. There are scholars who say it's absolutely not permissible. Do not use any of it. But there are other scholars who are saying, no, modern day banking interest is actually different from riba. So riba, there's no question that riba is haram. Usury, cannot, right? That's the... Yeah, that's the other term that scholars say that it's usury that's equivalent to riba, not the modern day banking interest. Some scholars say that there's a difference between them. Now, the thing is with stock market, with stock investing, you don't get interest. So you are not paid interest, you are paid what's called dividends. When you are investing in a stock market or when you are investing in Amazon, this is like you are starting your own business. You are purchasing Amazon business and you are an owner of that business. 
and you share in the profit and losses of that business. So yes, you can lose that money when you're investing in a business, but you could also gain money and business transaction profit loss. That's all permissible. That's not haram. There's no question about that. So that dividend income is not haram or it's not considered interest. But yes, bonds pay interest. So if you fall into the school of thought that all interest is haram, then that would be something that you would be cautious of investing in. Yeah, so that's exactly right. The advice that I really liked was in order to avoid interest, right, earnings or you avoid bonds. So one concept rather than investing into account that may have dual bonds and bonds bearing and dividend bearing investments, what you can do is you can separate them and just use invest in stocks. And then whatever was going to be your safety vehicle, you could put it in like something that isn't interest bearing, but is also considered safe into a safe vehicle, non-earning basically vehicle, right? So a non-dividend uh, bearing vehicle. Some people just have that money in their savings account. And checking. Yeah, in a checking account, exactly. Whatever they would proportion to it. And then they invest purely in stock. That way you are completely avoiding interest. It is possible to invest and completely avoid interest. So that's the concept that I wanted to get across. Dr. Saima, this has been an extremely informative episode. Thank you very much for coming on and discussing these really important principles with everybody. I feel like it took me a long time to get to these principles. And so if it could help someone else develop an interest in this, look into it, read up, maybe even as we did talk to a certified fiduciary only financial advisor, it could be really helpful for them. Where can people find you if they want to learn more information? Yes. So you can email me anytime at admin, A-D-M-I-N at wealthymuslimwoman.us. I have a document that I've prepared. It's called Secrets to Building Wealth. And I'll be happy to share that. It outlines all the principles, basic principles that we should be following. Also, I have a website, wealthymuslimwoman.us. So my contact information is there as well. And of course, on Facebook page and Instagram page with a wealthy Muslim woman as my username. So I'd love to connect with everybody. I want to be able to be helpful and provide value in any way that I can. So please feel free to email me or get in touch with me through Facebook or however you like. Great. And we will post those links right in the show notes. So they'll be available right there in the podcast platform. Thank you so much, Dr. Saima, for all of your advice. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Again, it was such an honor to be here with you. Thank you for providing me this platform. Thank you for tuning into the Professional Muslim Women Podcast, the place for Muslim women to inspire and be inspired. Please join us on our Facebook group, Professional Muslim Women, to continue the conversation and connect with Muslim women like you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and drop us a like or a review. We look forward to hearing from you soon.